Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. You're going to be excited about my guest today. A couple of little items of housekeeping before we get started. Um, for those that regularly download and listen to Faith Conversations, you probably thought, where the heck did Anita go? Well, I've only been gone two weeks. Come on. Okay, I went to Ireland. That was one thing that I did. And then I just had no gas in my tank. When I came back from Ireland uh, to record a podcast, and so um, I left a wonderful podcast up by Deneen Akers about her children's book, Dear Mama God, highly recommend. And I already highly recommend what we're going to be talking about and the book that will be our focus today um, by Caitlin Curtis, Living Resistance. But let me just say one more quick thing before I officially introduce Caitlin, and that is that I'm going to take a bit of a break for the summer. And I don't think I'm going to take a big multi-month break. I think podcasts are going to be um, here and there throughout the summer as some topic sparks my joy or interest or uh, anger or whatever the case may be. Some topic does that. Um, uh, I'll uh, pop in throughout the summer with podcasts here and there. Maybe I'll do uh, one or two with Mike about his rumblings, because there's a lot going on in our world. And you all know that full well. Uh, but I will be taking some breaks. I've been doing this eight years, and I have only ever taken two week breaks over the Christmas holidays, which I am shocked. can't believe I've not taken more breaks, but that's what's going to happen this summer. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for your support. You all know you can continue to support me through PayPal, Venmo, any of those ways. And you can email me if you have questions about that producer at anitalustria.com. And that comes to my producer. Oh, wait, that is me. It comes straight to me. So producer at anitalustria.com. Well, let's get into today's topic. My guest, as I said already, is Caitlin Curtis. She is an award-winning author, poet, storyteller, and public speaker. And as an enrolled citizen of the Potawatomi Nation, she writes on the intersections of spirituality and identity and how that shifts throughout our lives. She also speaks on these topics to diverse audiences who are interested in truth-telling and healing. So those last couple of sentences are a mouthful, and there's some heavy-duty stuff that is related to what <laughs> their intro says. And we're going to talk about some of that today as we get into the content of her latest book, Living Resistance, an Indigenous Vision for Seeking Wholeness Every Day. Caitlin, welcome back to Faith Conversations. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, you and I were talking before I hit the record button, and um, already I've not, I, oh, I thought I wrote the title down, but I didn't. But I've talked with you through uh, had conversations with you on two of your other books, a oh, glory happening. Uh, mm -hmm. I really loved that. A wonderful book for moms, maybe. 
My, yeah, I, I think it, for anybody. Well, I loved the prayers yeah. in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I talked with you about your book, Native. And here we are. We're going to talk about living resistance. And I'm really curious um, about several things. One, let, let's start about start with why this book now? Let's I think with authors, there is always a progression, and maybe you want to wrap into this response, some of your own personal progression, because I see it from glory happening native into living resistance. And so I'd love to hear it in your words. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting because when you are a writer, you're seeing your own journey through your books. I mean, cause that's, that's our outlet. It's like, if you were an artist, you would see your progression through your art, you know, however we, however we express that. So it's really interesting to be a, you know, nonfiction sort of memoir writer and poet, because I can, I can see the shifts in my own life. And even when you're reading my bio, it's so funny. Cause I, I had to rewrite my bio for this new book. You know, I wanted it to say something different than previous bios. And that is so hard because you have to sit there and say, you know, well, this is who I was two years ago yeah. and this is not who I'm going to be in two months. Who am I right now? now? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so, great. oh, that's a good point. Hard. Good point. Yeah. Like who am I today? But this is not necessarily who I am two, four, six, eight months from now when people are interviewing me about my newest book. <laughs> yeah. <Rough. laughs> yeah. It's still who I am. That bio feels good, but it may, yeah. you know, like, but it can shift, which is what I, which is what I say, like our identities and our ways of understanding ourselves do shift. And when you're a writer, that's difficult because, you know, your words are sort of stuck in time in a way, or it's like a time capsule. And I think that that's, that can be difficult for readers to grasp, you know, that we, we do change so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, Glory Happening was, um, I described that book as like just the very beginnings of my like deconstruction. Let's use that term. I had just discovered Richard Rohr. I had just discovered Barbara Brown Taylor and um, Thomas Merton and, you know, these, these like contemplative writers that I didn't yes. know existed because I grew up Baptist, you know, so <laughs> well, I'm raising my world. hand along with you. Totally. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole world of Christianity, the, the desert mothers and fathers that I didn't know about. I had no yeah. idea. And, you know, and also like coming to terms with who just beginning to come to terms with who I am as a young Potawatomi woman. I was a mother, a young mother, and my faith was shifting and changing. And I was asking so many questions. The, the very basic one is, was, you know, can God or creator be more expansive than I've been taught? Like, does God have to be a he? It was just a very, the very basic beginning questions for me. And, and, um, you know, what do I believe about the Bible or, you know, all these things, which are, can be a bit shattering. Um, oh, yeah. as yeah. I remember asking those questions or coming to the realization that that was a yes, in fact, God is yeah. bigger. What I, and I had a major meltdown. I just thought, oh my gosh, I've got to leave my place of work. I can no longer exist in my family or it, which was not, yet the case but yes but but it becomes the case for a lot of people eventually yeah. and it, it is scary it's always scary to question to start deconstructing it's always scary because the foundation kind of disappears from under you and you have to build a new one and um but that book glory happening still embodied a lot of my just um storytelling at my at, at the core of who i am and sort of my curiosity as a mother as a young woman 
Um, and so then, and I've written books, I've released books every three years. I didn't mean to, it just is what happened. So <laughs> the native came out in 2020. And of course, native was, was really digging into identity and America and colonial Christianity and all these really hard things. And so I, I've said that for me, starting deconstruction led me to ask questions about decolonizing then. So if, if I'm, if I'm asking questions about how I grew up in these systems, the next thing is to ask, well, then what role has colonization played in my life? And I'm just, I'm always thinking for the listener, that person that is hearing you use that term, and they really are actually scratching their head. What does decolonizing mean? Yeah. So, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but the United States is a settler colonial nation, um, which means they're have and were and are indigenous people here that have been the that the the land and the peoples were taken over by another group and um forcibly removed and there was genocide and there was these systems put in place to replace the indigenous people of the land of this place and that is ongoing that is an ongoing thing we deal with. So we are a settler colonial nation. And we don't talk about that a lot. I never heard that term growing up. Um, Same. So yeah. So decolonizing is asking, well, if, if we are colonized, all of us, if we are affected by, by colonialism, like many places in the world are, then what is our role? No matter who we are, we all have specific roles in what it might mean to decolonize. And this has, this has so many political, um, you know, embodiments to it. Of course, it's very, a very political term, but I, I have often tried to approach it for people in their everyday life. And then, on, and then on the systems, the systematic level, systemic level um, is how does it happen in the big my, uh, macro and how does it happen in our micro and our lives? So just ask questions of the books you read, ask who you've been listening to, ask what history you've loved, why you, did you love it? And is it really true? You know, there's just the very basics, right? Like it, that's where it begins. And so for me, um, coming to terms with what it means to be a Potawatomi woman, when that was silenced for so long, when I assimilated so much, when I was such a good Christian, but didn't want to have anything to do with being Potawatomi, I didn't understand what it meant and how beautiful it was because so much trauma has been inflicted on my family, on my ancestors, on me. So coming to terms with that naturally led me to ask questions about colonialism and how it affects me and how it affects us as people. And so Native was diving deep into that, which was so beautiful and difficult to write and to go through. And then COVID hit. So I released it right as COVID hit. And so it was a lot of, it was really hard. It was really hard. And then we moved to Vermont um, from Atlanta. So we lived in Vermont Ooh. for 11 and. Vermont was just this little bubble of a place where I was like, okay, I just released this book and what the hell's happening? <laughs> so, that, was, that was hard. And I was traumatized from releasing and I was exhausted. And yeah. So living resistance was okay. Like that was really hard to write native was, that was really hard to live through and write that. So now what? So living resistance is my like, now what book? And you know, it's, you'll notice if you read it, it's much more universal. It's much more interfaith. It's, 
much more expansive. And I read so many books in order to write it from so many diverse authors. And I had such a blast doing that. I love doing that. So it was just the book that was kind of like, yeah, things are bad. And yeah, we have too many questions to answer. And yeah, things might not be getting better anytime soon. Or maybe sometimes they do get a little better. And what does it mean to resist the status quo around us, that toxic, painful status quo of white supremacy and colonialism and hate and greed? I mean, you name it. What are What is the thing, you know, that we're, that our society is upheld knowingly or unknowingly? How do we resist it? How do we live a beautiful connected life with each other with mother earth with ourselves and i wanted to take that idea of resistance and sort of stretch it and and ask questions of it in a new way um and did that you know through my own identity and experiences and i loved writing it it was so um life giving to write this book i mean i really enjoyed it and if i'm still a poet i'm still a storyteller at heart. So that was still in the book, you know, but I, I hope it'll be a good tool for people who are maybe in the same place where they've right, where they're still expanding. They're still asking all these big questions of God and of our, our systems. And what does it mean to just be a human right now? I don't know. I hope that helped. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really interesting, I think there are people probably listening um, and, and some who are asking questions, some who aren't, and they're thinking, oh, wow, didn't know there were so many questions to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then others that are in the midst of asking that. And one of the things that I want to say is that you really uh, aid in that process and probably ask some additional questions that maybe people haven't thought of. And that's one of the reasons that I really um, like living resistance. Um one of the other things that I want to get to, well, several things, the poet piece is certainly one of them, uh, but you break the book down into realms. Uh, you've got the personal realm, the communal realm, the ancestral realm, the integral realm or integral realm, however you say it. But um, w- I want to know how how these particular realms of resistance framework came about. Yeah. Um, I know every author when they're when you're you know working on a book, you're kind of looking for that framework yes. initially to tell your story, your put out there your uh, information. so where where did those come from? Yeah, I realized, um, I think glory happening was just very much just a bunch of essays and and stories. yeah. And then when I wrote native, I realized how much I need a framework because it helps me hold it's a, it's the vehicle to hold all these stories, you know? So ever since I wrote native, I've realized like, this is what works for me. And so, and I wanted, um, I love cyclical frameworks because it helps us in, in ways we've learned and been taught to be linear. We need to learn to be cyclical. And so that's also a decolonizing way to understand ourselves and our healing in the world. So Um, I wanted circles, you know, and I thought Venn diagram might work. And I kept, I mean, I was, I was way into writing the book and I, the, the realms were written and the stories were written, but I didn't have the picture of it yet. And I remember, you know, our kids were going virtual for school for a while. Like there was just so much happening. And I was like, maybe the day they went back, I finally went to my dining room table and I taped a bunch of pieces of paper together 
I took dinner, our dinner plates and I like trace circles. I'm a really Great. bad artist. So you have to know this like felt very artistic Great. for me. <laughs> I traced these circles and I was like, oh my God, the realms should have colors associated with them. So I took colored pencils and I'm like, oh my God, the realms should have seasons associated with them, like uh, to follow yeah. You know, and it all just came together and it was such a beautiful morning and I'll never forget it. And, um, but the framework was already there, but I needed space to, to picture it better. And so I, I really want my books to, like you said, I want, I want to be, um, a facilitator for people in my writing. And I, so the framework is, is meant to help people. I hope that when they read it, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm in the personal realm right now. And, and the communal, you could be in all of them, of course, right. that's sure. It's not, you're not meant to move from one to the next in a procession, but, um, thinking about, am I taking care of myself most right? Like, what am I focusing on right now? What do I need to focus on? So it, it was just a way to help people move through life. We care for ourselves in the personal, we care for each other in the earth and communal. We think about our role as, you know, belonging to our ancestors, but also trying to change history and being ancestors one day. And then the integration of all of it, right? That's our, at the core of who we are, we have to keep dreaming. We have to keep praying. However that looks for us, you know, it's very expansive. And what does it mean to be human? Is that the core of all of it? So, well, I, this is so interesting. I came from a very conservative evangelical world. That's my background, which obviously yours is not dissimilar coming from the Southern Baptist space. Um, and I think, uh, I think that many, um, it'll enter the door to any kind of a faith shift through the personal realm because we were so very strongly taught that you care for anything, everything before yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I at least for me, it feels like the personal realm is the space that a lot of people enter. But then I, one of the other things that I really realized is, oh, wait, I really wasn't taught to enter any of these spaces yeah. <laughs> and forget the personal realm, the communal realm, the, you know, um, not, not the, the ancestral realm, the, you know, integral right. realm, none of those spaces. So I think you're really bringing new thoughts, new questions, new information here to a lot of people who are on this journey of, and, and I think my favorite language is, Roar's language of um, order, disorder, reorder. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know why it doesn't feel quite as like everything's falling apart. Not that it doesn't, but but I love that there is disorder, but there can also be reorder. But it's everything's going to look very different. That's true, um, and I yeah. think something I've learned from just paying attention to the seasons of the world around us, like this beautiful earth we have to live on she literally shows us what it means to kind of start over every three months and that's such a gift for us because yes. in america we slap on our goals at the end of december and then that's the only time of the year we talk about changing ourselves sort of you know or bettering ourselves and that is such a disservice to what it means to be human like can you yeah. imagine like we only set goals once a year I mean, I'm, I'm reevaluating my life every like three weeks, let alone three months. And, right. and that, and we, and we should have the space to do that. Our systems don't allow us that. I think 
those of us who have more privilege than others have the space to even think about that. Right. But, um, but thinking seasonally and, and yeah. following the earth in the way she teaches us that is so beautiful. And we should be asking those questions. We just don't, we, we haven't been taught to do it. You know, there's so yes. much unlearning to do in the process. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I love about the book, you, before each of the realms, you um, have a poem. And actually I read, I read the first one before the personal realm and, and, and I moved on into, you know, reading and then I came back to it. This is me. I'm like, wait a minute, who wrote that? I, I need to find out who wrote that. Oh, duh. <laughs> Caitlin wrote that, <laughs> wrote all the poems. Um, so um, I love when an author reads uh, some of their work. So two things. One, I'm wondering which is your favorite of the four poems mm. before the realms. I, I really want you to read the personal realm poem, but sure. if you have another, that's a real favorite of yours, uh, then I would love for you to, we can also go to that as well. Yeah. I'm always up for that, but the personal realm, I think it really caught my attention because it began with a question and, and then I was snagged and, and, um, pulled in immediately, but I, yeah, what's your favorite of the, of the, poems um, that you have in here I think my favorite is the one for the communal realm oh and cool okay so I'll, I'll read that I'll read that one first how about and then I'll read yeah. the one from the yeah. personal those Thank two you. are are my two favorites um okay. the communal realm one has become my favorite because I've read it at a lot of retreats and workshops and people always cry and oh. so seeing the response to it has made me recognize that I, I wrote this poem, um, parts of it at a monastery in, um, Georgia and mm, nice I, because I, I had an afternoon sitting under a magnolia tree and that's mm, where so mm -hmm. much of the imagery came from was this beautiful place that I often wrote at and visited. And so, you know, when you can remember that and have a memory attached, it's so special, you know? And so, um, it's meant a lot that people have responded so much to this particular poem. Nice. So this is from the communal realm. Maybe you don't know strength until you've rested beneath the branches of a magnolia tree, feeling the weight of her regal waxed leaves. Maybe you don't know community until you've watched ants rebuild what was broken by a world much bigger than theirs. Maybe you don't know fortitude until you've noticed geese fly to the furthest border of warmth to protect their children. Maybe you don't know compassion until you place your hands in the dirt and feel the pulse of the earth, her heart and soul welcoming you. Maybe you don't know time until you run your fingers over a river rock, their skin softened by generations of magic. Maybe you don't know yourself until the mirror of the water reminds you of your goodness and brings you home again. Uh, that's beautiful, powerful. And if you what? do the audiobook, you know, you can hear me reading it, which is really lovely. So, and that's, I'm listening to the audiobook now. So I think that's probably why I responded, um, to yeah. hearing you read the one from the first one from the personal realm. Hey, let me interject a question here. What, what is your, uh, educational background? Were you an English major? Were you, what were you? No, I took, um, I took social work classes and oh, then I, yeah, I did taking, know that. 
I kept taking literature classes. It's like I just couldn't let go of them. But I don't have a I don't have a degree in English. I don't, you know, I just loved it so much and I couldn't not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kept taking all these literature classes and and so where did the poetry piece come from? Because you've written poems for a long time. I feel like it is the in always. thing right now, but you have always done this. Yeah, You're since not... I was little. I mean, and well, and it's interesting because poetry, so my my mom loves poetry. And then my father was a singer songwriter and played guitar. And I think, you know, when, when I was like 11 or 12, I taught myself to play guitar. Of course, I was going to be a famous worship leader and singer songwriter, <laughs> but I was poetry was through music for a long right. time. Mm -hmm. So I was writing poetry. I was writing music. I was writing these words. And then as I got older, it shifted into essays and prose and just different types of poetry. And it's just words have always been my home and my safe place. Mm -hmm. Always, I just um, they always have. I mean, I have my journals. I have journals to back when I was about eight. Wow. I'll have a bunch of, I don't know how I kept them. I'm so glad I did, you know, because I can look back and see so much of who I was and who I am, you know, uh, how, uh, another aside here. How old are your children now? Nine and 11. Have, how have they experienced their mom in her shifting? How has that played out in their lives? I don't, you know, I mean, I'm sure they notice it, but it's funny when we, when we talk about some of those things, I think what they notice is that we used to go to church and now we don't, that's probably the biggest thing is okay. that, that it's like, you know, cause I was a, I was a church leader. I, I was the worship leader. I was, we were leading small groups. We were doing all these things where church was our community mm -hmm. and we've not been a part of institutional um, church or Christianity really for a few years now. And so they have seen that shift in community becoming something else. And, and it always, it always has been, it's just, yeah. What was our language for it? Or how did we seek that out? You know? Well, and, and that, so it begs another question, at least from me at this point, um, where, where does your community come from? I think that's a, a big question. When my husband and I six and a half years ago moved after 30 two years in Chicagoland area and, you know, making a big move when you're older. And so you don't have kids in school, which is a right. community you kind of gravitate right. toward, or you're not moving for a job, which is another right. kind of community that can develop. And when we were first here and we were looking for a church, but also felt kind of burned out and didn't feel like going or certainly not getting involved anywhere initially and eventually found an Episcopal church as a placeholder for a while, maybe, yeah. I don't know, a couple months. But um, realizing that that was the big place where we found community. So it's true. How, where, where does your community come from or how have you been able to yeah. develop that now? I think that that's a, a huge spot of grief for people that we underestimate is yeah. when you choose to leave often toxic and abusive church environments, even though you were loved and there were incredible people and they were your people. Like we, we, that is a nuance we can hold that complexity that there were incredible people at the churches I grew up in, but that the systems and the way we understood God were still very toxic and dehumanizing for many people. Um, so I just want to say that. Yeah. 
there is very real grief in losing community when you've been taught your whole life, church is community, your community is your church. That's where you have your people. That's the only place that's safe to have your people. You know, like that's, it's so ingrained in so many of us. And um, so currently we have community through our local climbing gym because we, we rock climb as a family. And okay. wow. so our, yeah. our climbing gym is our, you know, next home. I mean, we're there all the time and um, we all, all four of us climb together and we have, you know, begun making friends that are very much, we have the same values. We have the same hobby, you know, like we have this thing we love and then you slowly yeah. get to know each other. Um, another spot of community for us though, has also always been, um, local restaurants and local, like in Atlanta, we had a, a burger place. We went to every Sunday after church and the burger was almost more God than church was many days. Like we went there and we're like, well, oh, there are people there. They, they are. are. You're, I, I mean, yeah. what you're, as soon as you said it, I thought, you know, the quote where everyone, where everybody knows your name, the old tagline yeah. of cheers, the, the bar, yeah. the old yeah. show television show. And I, Mike and I have a, a couple of places where we go yeah. and we'll yeah. say yeah. that it's like, oh, this is like home. They know us yep. here. And it's a beautiful thing. So you know, and, and then COVID broke that for so many of us, right? We've been so isolated. So it it is. And as adults, it's difficult. For kids, it's it's different. For adults, leaving those spaces and trying to start over is hard. I also have a community of, you know, authors and activists sort of all over the country. Right. And I'm so they're just I'm so grateful for them. But we aren't we're virtually you're different. not in proximity. No. Exactly. You yes. That's the other piece. I know they are. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Anyway, I wanted to toss that yeah. in because I think that's really uh, in, helpful and in, and a thing. So yeah, that's good. All right. So uh, yeah, I want to, would love to hear your voice reading the personal realm and whatever you want to say about this particular poem. Yeah. Um, I think I wrote this poem for this book. Maybe I wrote it a little bit before it. Um, but you know, this personal realm is it's like the time of winter. It's the time that we're going inward to assess who we are, to ask really deep, difficult, beautiful questions. So, um, and can I, can I interject this? I think one of the things that I want to say is every once in a while, I'll talk with someone older than me. <laughs> I'm probably 15 to 20 years. You're senior. I don't know how old you are exactly. Um, 34. Oh yeah. 34. Did you say? Yeah, 34, 44, 54. So, so maybe I'm 30. I'm going to be 63. So I'm almost three decades older than you. So, but some, some women older than me will sometimes say, wow, I'm just entering this journey. That's so discouraging. Or not, and I, I will always say, no, mm -mm. no. The, the fact remains you are entering this journey. Yes. It doesn't matter when. No. And how much beautiful the, the ripple effects of your change and your journey, the, the ripple effects of what will last, you know, yeah, are absolutely, it, you can't underestimate that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my poems don't have titles cause I'm really bad at titling them. So <laughs> that's another thing to note that they never have titles. They're just what they are. They're it's great. They just exist. Um, so this is the poem for the personal realm. What is a poem? It is the quietest, softest part of you, held to an invisible microphone, held up to the light, held up beyond the hustle and bustle of the day and the groaning aches of the night. 
A poem is the anger that releases itself in your time of greatest need, when you are ready to fracture before you believe again, ready to break open and receive yourself to yourself. A poem is the whisper that tells everything, the secret that cannot be denied. You are exactly as you've always been. Beloved word, spoken self, relieved ache, tender child. The poem is you. It always was. I, I, it just, that one really connects with me, at least right now in my life. I love that so much. Thank you. I also don't want our time to get away before talking about something that you do at the end of each chapter, which is called resistance commitments. Mm -hmm. I thought it's something, it's very different than, you know, it's not someone at the end of chapters with a couple of questions for you to discuss or whatever. It's, uh, talk about how that, how those came to be, what, and um, what, what you see as important about that part of the book. Yeah. Um, it's always risky putting anything like that because I'm worried it'll feel cheesy, you know, or like it feels like a devotional. And I don't want that because I'm like, you know, um, scarred by devotional language from growing up. You're scarred by cheese, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. I, I read a bunch of the the resistance commitments and that, that was one of my, uh, I, can, I have a high cheese antenna going all the time and it is not these are not cheesy i thought that they were so thoughtful and interesting and helpful um Good. following each chapter so anyway that's my take yeah, on them. I'm, I'm glad well you know um the things i'm covering in the book are so um intense and yes. so deep and and you know, sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, this is like content. It's just what I think about all the time. And I have to step back and realize like for the reader, this is not what they're thinking about all the time. And, um, and so I, I like to give people an opportunity to kind of practice something or to have, have a response maybe in their body or in their everyday experiences that can help them process and think through what I've just shared in this chapter. And so at the end of each chapter, I wanted to give some sort of, not just a, a suggestion, but I call them commitments and hoping that, you know, maybe you decide to practice them every few weeks or, you know, however often you want to. Like I talk about taking scheduled um, regular breaks from social media for like chunks of time and see if that helps with certain things or, you know, um, or, you know, ask what ritual means to you or what art means to you. Does it change? And there are just so many little things like that. And I, I just wanted them to be like a, like a touchstone for people to, if they want to go deeper, they can then look through these commitments and ask, can I practice one or two of these just this year or just this month? However, that shows up for people. I hope that it um, gives a lot of flexibility, you know, so I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed them. That's good to hear. So I'm looking at page 138. If you have your own book in front of you there. And because I, I would love for you uh, to to say, and I guess, I guess this is, hang on, what's, yeah, this, this is part of the chapter, at the end of the chapter, intergenerational healing as resistance. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to say, um, 
you know, just a, a word about that chapter and then, and then actually read that, this resistance commitment, because I think it's really yeah. interesting and very different. Yeah. I, um, you know, and in indigenous communities and in a lot of, um, oppressed communities or historical oppression, we talk about intergenerational trauma and the, the trauma that we carry in our bodies and in our stories that have been passed down to us. Um, and so I wanted to know if anyone was talking about intergenerational healing or intergenerational resilience or resistance. And, and there, there is, there's, um, there's an incredible organization that's writing on this, um, writing books and doing these beautiful, um, practices. And then there are just, there are organizations and communities all over the place that are practicing this. They're connecting back with the earth. They're asking what it means to heal for multiple generations. So I wanted to, um, to, to really write about that and ask how do we exist in this liminal space between those who came before and those who come after? Cause that's, that's what we live right now. Mm-hmm. Everything we do now will affect in Potawatomi culture. We believe that the seven generations, so seven generations after us is what we're looking at, which is a long time. So the, the things we're doing today have lasting impacts on those who come after us. And that's kind of the, the whole ancestral realm is about that, but that section is also kind of speaking to that. So this is what the the commitment says. Draw or imagine a large horizontal oval on a piece of paper. At the left end of the oval, write ancestors. In the middle, write me. And at the far right end, write future generations. Examine the way you exist in the never-ending cycle of those who came before and those who come after. Inside the oval, write, draw, or envision the things you hope for in your lifetime and in the lifetimes of those who come after you. This is not a lightweight book, folks, if you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I love that because you are inviting us in to practices we may not think of on our own. Mm hmm. Uh, I, I mean, we need, that's what we need. That's to me, we need transcendent literature of which I think this book is that will invite us into our own journeys as it relates to a larger, um, you know, uh, global journey. I, you know, if you will, I mean, it's just, I think it's really powerful. Um, let me, I'm going to maybe wrap our time up with this quote. I'm going to read a quote and you can comment on it. And uh, I, I, I start it because I thought it spoke to me about the book. Living resistance is about letting ourselves hurt and heal without knowing what comes next in a society that tells us we should shut off our emotions and always have a plan. Mm-hmm. I'm an Enneagram three. So of course that really spoke to me, <laughs> but I think that I thought that was powerful. Um, I think we do live in a society that tells us to shut off all kinds of things. And certainly, uh, emotions is one of them and yeah, mm-hmm. comments on that from you. Yeah. I, I remember really enjoying writing that sentence. Mm-hmm. I remember writing it and thinking that it felt, it felt good to write it because it, it was an expression of, um, what has happened in our society. I think we put a lot of pressure on each other to fix things like right now, and of course there's a lot to fix. I mean, we, 
It's not yeah. that there's like no fire. I mean, it, yeah. it is bad. And there are things that are, are broken and there are people who are wounded and there are, uh, there's so much oppression happening. Um, but uh, we can't, we can't get there so quickly if we're not engaged in what like a holistic idea of healing and wholeness looks like. And that's what I'm trying to get people to do is just slow down a little bit and, and stop a moment and kind of look at your own life, look at how you treat yourself, look at how you treat your neighbor or the people or the children around you or mother earth, or, you know, look at how you're, you're imagining and understanding your life and history and all these things. And then let's ask what can be done. Um, what the plan is, you know, but don't jump right. to the plane before you know what you're doing and, or know how you're going to engage it in a deeper way. I love that. I think that's absolutely true and right. Um, I have enjoyed this conversation so much today, Caitlin. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for continuing to dig in and write about uh, deeper things that we need to be, to be paying attention to in our own lives. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Again, Living Resistance is the name of the book. Caitlin Curtis, the author, all of the information will be uh, on the show notes. Um, if you're out running around and can't write anything down right now, you know where to find it. And as always, I say keep the conversation going.